Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from Percy'sGrowRoom.com. In this week's Grow Guides episode, we talk all about how to make your own compost. And also on this episode, we have Jordan River, who is the host of Growcast, the official cannabis podcast. Most of you probably already know who he is, but if you don't, make sure you go and check out his podcast as well, which can be downloaded from all the major podcast networks, the same ones as this episode can be downloaded from. Uh, we recommend that everybody has their own compost bin, even if you're not going to use it for growing. It's a great way to get rid of food scraps, uh, paper, and just a general waste around the house, you know, and it's completely free. It's really easy to do. So any, anyway, let's just move on to the episode so we can explain all of this throughout the Grow Guides. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll catch you at the end of this. See you in a bit. This week, and I mean, last week we spoke about soil and the week before that we spoke about hydroponics. So we're going through this kind of medium phase right now. And today we're going to be talking about compost, a.k.a. compost. <laughs> There's different pronunciations of the word, but it's essentially is the same thing. It's just a lot of rotted organic matter that is used uh, as a, a, an additive to soil or you can make compost tea, make some nutrients out of it as well. It's very useful shit. And the one of the best things about compost is it's absolutely free. It costs you nothing to make. It's just made with stuff you were going to throw away anyway. So we're going to talk about how to make compost and how to use compost. The same alternating. See that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, joining us for the Grow Guides this week is we have uh, our friend Jordan River from Growcast. I'm sure hey. you all know who he is. You want to say hi, Jordan? Yeah, man. Absolutely. Um, Growcast podcast, of course, my show. Thank you for having me. Huge friend, uh, huge fan, and friends of High on Homegrown. Yes, man. So I do appreciate you being uh, allowing me to be here. This is perfect timing too, because I'm literally in the middle of a Living Soil Masterclass tour, and the first segment, literally, what we open up our Living Soil Masterclass with. Well, I guess, I guess the you know after the intro is composting, um, all the different ways to compost, the benefits, and how it really is the most important part of your living soil. Like when you're establishing living soil, that the compost is it. That is the most important segment. You can get your, your elements and your nutrition from a variety of sources, but no one's going to have a compost like you have. And if you have to buy a compost, you want to make sure that you select the right one. Um, but ideally, like Mackie said, this is something that you produce yourself or you get locally uh, because that's how you close the loop um, mm. and really have a true uh, organic regenerative farming system. So um I don't know if you want me to take it away or if anyone else wants to jump no, in. TJ, you, you want to say some stuff about compost as well? Because you also use it in your living yeah. soil, right? Yeah. Well, I do a lot of volunteering here in the city, teaching people how to make compost and, and things like this, going to events, because I'm a, again, massive compost fan, as you guys know, with my my soil, which isn't a true living soil, like Jordan kind of just alluded or uh, kind of talked about a little bit there it's a microbially fortified super soil so it doesn't rely purely on the microbes for a closed loop system but it's a huge component um, it provides a massive amount of benefits and whenever anyone asks me what the number one amendment they can use whether it's to soil you're going to make for your homegrown cannabis or other plants or whether it's just as a as an amendment to your yard 
it, it's 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 the best thing literally mm -hmm. um that you can do for for plants and uh and so yeah I'm a, I'm a huge fan not only that too like environmentally wise keeping all this shit out of the the landfill is really important if you're mm -hmm. truly concerned about reducing carbon footprint and and things like this so many 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 benefits for mm -hmm. for composting and, and uh yeah can't stress enough how awesome and important it is what about way and, down and south waste sorry jordan I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and just the waste, right? Like when you talk about mm. food waste, that's one thing. But one thing I've been trying to open up growers' eyes to is all that deleafing that you do. Mm -hmm. When yep. you clip a cannabis fan leaf and it's healthy and green, that is literally a plant tissue storage of every mineral, micro and macronutrient that your plant needs to grow. And you're taking that and you're throwing it in the garbage. That should be going right into your compost or it should be going into like a JLF, like a JADAM liquid fertilizer where you let it sit for a period of time. This is the kind of thing that, that will take your grow, increase your yields and your terpenes and lower your cost reusing waste like that. So, so I, I could not agree more. Um, and I think the easiest way for a lot of people to get started is vermicomposting, right? There's a couple mm -hmm. different types. There's like a static compost where you just let it sit in a pile and you don't do anything. That takes longer because there's not as much activity. And then there's a thermophilic composting where you're you know, turning it um, and it's an active compost, right? And that helps if you're turning that pile. The more often you turn it, the faster it breaks down. And then there's vermicompost using worms. And that's my personal favorite way. Mm -hmm. And I think what a lot of people end up doing is vermicomposting. They're all amazing. But those worms, they're, they're like magic. They actually increase the nutrient potential of what they consume. Mm. It's almost like uh, they break the laws of physics, right? Like, like, like <laughs> it's matter like free energy. It yeah. literally is, Mackie. Like, I know that sounds crazy, but matter, like matter can't be destroyed. It can only be transmuted, except for worms, I guess. Because what they consume, if they consume something that has potassium, they excrete it like three to ten times more powerful. So mm -hmm. it's one of those things in nature that like has a law, like no free lunches in nature. This is the exception to that rule. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I can't stress the power of worms enough in these yeah. living soils. And TG is right. People say soil, which is really the stuff outside. A lot of our potting mixes are like a, are like a modified growing medium. I love what you called it. A, 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 a microbially enriched. That's a great way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's all good, baby. What you want is the microbes and you want something for them to feed on. And then you yeah. want something for them to break down. Exactly. Yeah. They, uh, I love what you said too, about the physics thing. Cause like when I, when I go on my rants about compost, I always tell people, this is the closest thing we have to alchemy really. Cause you're transforming this shit, just this disgusting quote unquote, it's not disgusting, but you know, it, it can be pretty nasty looking and gross, um, into just, yeah. you smell it. Like I, it's, I don't know. I, I love compost. It's, and it's amazing to see that transformation. And when it's like ripping and your, your bin is 60 degrees and there's steam coming out of it and you're just like, fuck yeah, I can watch the plants just turn into this. I don't know. There's something about it. So yeah. yeah I'm a, I'm a, a, a couple of types of compost we mentioned there as well. The type which you just kind of put in like a composter or a pile in your back garden. Uh, and mm. then there's the vermicompost, which is made, using a worm farm or lots of worms different types of worms as well and they will eat all the food and shit it out uh, it's a long process it takes like four to six months for both type of compost to really get done and broken down properly but it's definitely worth it i was wondering if you you guys do um composting way down south there bubble hawk 
Yeah, I do. Um, so I use, as Jordan was saying earlier, I actually take most of my trim um, and all my fan leaves and everything I take off when I do a default, um, it goes straight in along with some um, scraps and like food scraps and stuff like that. And I don't, I don't know exactly what worms they are that are in there, but they do the job. Even mm-hmm. that, they and then I just use all of that instead of I because I use co- I grow in cocoa. I don't reuse that in my in my grow. I'll then use um, all of that on my veggie gardens and um, flowering plants and things like that. And they absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. So all my outdoor stuff gets all of that. What about you, Marge? You do some composting too. Yeah, I do. I would say mine's probably more the static style, where I dump it in the compost bin and forget about it, but. Mm-hmm. I do end up with a, you know some pretty nice stuff in the end. It does take longer though, for sure. And monkey, you also compost as well, right? Yeah, I'm kind of a, a, a barrel type composter. I, I co- compost in thirty gallon trash cans, and I use an auger to go down in and, and, and turn into pile with an auger. Uh, in mine, I we have black soldier flies in the area, and they just naturally establish themselves in the compost bin. So when I turn, it's kind of in a way disgusting and kind of not because you, you'll turn up like three quarter inch maggots come, will come turning in your compost bin, mm. but they're doing the same thing that the earthworms are doing. So just leave them be, you know, mm. and when the compost is cooked enough and there's no more nutrients, they leave. That's exactly yeah, right. Man. So we're, we're all doing it. We're all doing the compost thing. You know, I, I um, have well farms. So that, that makes the compost for me, but I don't use it indoors right now because I'm not growing right now, but it gets put on the plants outdoors. You know, I've got a nice grapevine. I'm growing some peppers. And that gets fed with the vermi compost. Plants love it, man. It's natural. As natural as you can get, isn't it? I just got my first worm bin. Uh, actually, when I taught this course, sweet. one of the gentlemen who was in it, uh, we went to his house and he, he showed us his amazing massive worm farm in his garage and he gave me a bucket. And so they're sweet. eating the shit out of corn downstairs nice. right now. Yeah, it's awesome. I think we need to do an episode specifically on vermi compost and running a worm farm because everybody should be doing that too. But composting is just way easier. You don't have to get a, a worm bin. You don't have to get worms of different varieties, night crawlers and all that. You just have to get food waste. And it's a specific type of food waste as well. And not just food waste, there's other stuff as well, but we'll go into that. But it's just much easier. You can start today with making your own compost you, you just have to go outside and have a place for it to happen so l- let's say somebody wants to go outside and make their own compost for the first time how would they begin tg you want to start off with that uh how do you begin making compost yeah what's the first step you'll take well um when i go to people's houses i look around the yard and you know you want to cite your your spot for it appropriately um ideally compost doesn't smell when it's making that's kind of a misconception that people think it stinks when it's Mm -hmm. properly aerated and everything's going well it doesn't really smell at all um so ideally you want it close enough to wherever probably you're going to be applying it the most most people use it in the garden so potentially close to your garden but not so far that in the winter or you know at least the winter here um, I have to go like across my entire yard, which is quite a ways, and that's kind of sucks. So convenience is is a consideration. After that, you know, you want to kind of choose your type of bin, depending on your situation. Again, there's multiple types of bins you can use. Uh, there's open compost in the heap type style where it's not enclosed and it does take a bit 
longer generally to to do its thing. Um, I have one of those that I built out of three pallets that I nailed together in kind of a semi-square with with the front missing, and I just pile my shit in there. And uh, that's kind of my my long compost that takes from spring to fall to do its thing. Mm-hmm. And then I have three black uh, plastic enclosed bins that I also use. And those I can get uh, ready to use compost in about a month because mm-hmm. I actively stir and add and do all the, you know, the right shit for those. So to start, you need to source, you know, all of that's important, but you got to start with the right uh, materials. I like to put a bunch of kind of hard sticks or something like this right on the bottom to provide a bit of aeration. Um, and then I'll start layering. I don't know what I start with the greens usually. Um, so anything nitrogen rich, you know, kitchen scraps, fresh cut leaves, uh, grass, grass is a bit iffy because it can get matted and it's, it's really, um, pretty one dimensional stuff. So maybe go easy on the grass if that's, uh, what you got. But um, yeah, and then you just kind of build it up like a layered parfait type thing with your your green bits and then more browns. I think I forget what the ratio is. Was it like three or five to one? I think browns. it's just 50 50 anyway, right? Uh, I think it's more browns and greens, really. Uh, 50, 50 like- by volume. So it's not 50 50 by mass, but if you fill two five gallon buckets with browns and greens, by volume, it'll be about equal. So that's, uh, that's why you want to do a 50, 50 ratio Browns for your fungals and, mm-hmm. uh, greens for your bacteria. And when you say some... Browns there, Jordan, if you don't mind me interrupting many, uh, what do you mean by Browns? Leaf litter, wood, anything wood. That's what fungus feeds off of. And no, there's that's... a couple I'm racking my brain. Like this, this, the living soil course is Alexandria's course. You guys, queen of the sun. So like I'm, she, she, she said there are a few that are not quite what you'd think. And I'm racking my brain, but generally Browns being things like uh, dead grass, leaf yeah. litter, dead leaf litter, wood chips, things of that nature. Greens being like fresh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, fruit scraps, stuff like that um, for greens. And the browns greens are, are like, sorry, TJ. I was just going to say, browns are basically carbon rich material that has yes. lost its, its nitrogen components, whether, you know, chlorophyll has nitrogen in it, but as as the leaves age they turn green to brown so the chlor or the nitrogen dissipates however it does and then you're left with your brown and yeah jordan's right the the bacteria are after the carbon in in the leaves and the fungally dominated tends to go toward the wood stuff because it's got more of the lignin and fungus is the only thing that can dissolve or to actually eat the lignin bacteria are more interested in cellulose and stuff which is the, you know what's in most type of plants leaves mm-hmm. and and shit like that but uh yeah you can really fine-tune your compost depending on what you're going to be using it for in terms of the microbial microbial population in it very cool um they say they they talk about fungally and bacterially dominant soil for cannabis and you know there's a lot of hype put on fungal dominance and that's simply because of a ph perspective cannabis likes a simple a slightly lower ph and that's why people say that it's fungally dominant but i'm here to tell you we've scoped soils from all around the country and we've seen a wide variety of dominance and great cannabis coming out of bacterially dominated soil hmm. so what we've seen is that it's more about having a sufficient mineral content and then having the sufficient diversity in the sample the only times where it wasn't impressive is when there was a lack of diversity or a lack of total population where it was just too sterile. Um, mm. 
And so, so I think that the fungal bacterial dominance is a little bit overrated with when it comes to cannabis and it thrives in a variety of different ratios, as long as there's good microbial activity and the food, the soil food web isn't too lopsided in one direction. Hmm. Um, but if you want back fungus, to, grow some mushrooms. Uh, if you see those mushrooms coming up in your soil, it's generally a good thing. It means that you have a good enough moisture content and more specifically moisture moisture evenness to allow those fungal spores to establish and create their hyphae and then eventually come up above granite and fruit, depending on what type of mushroom it is usually something, you know, just like an inky cap or something like that coming out of people's soil. But back to the composting thing, I wanted to say, uh, TG is hundred percent, right. The more active your compost is the less it's going to smell compost heats up on the inside. And, and, and basically that's, it's thermophilic, meaning that they like heat, hmm. right. Thermophilic. And, and that's the type of, uh, microbial, those are the species that you want to proliferate. So you want to make sure yeah. that your pile is big enough, at least three feet cubic, because that that's that allows it to get warm on the inside. And if you're getting a different odors, it could um it could be indicative of a problem. So like we have a troubleshooting guide in our in our masterclass resource where like if your um compost pile smells rotten, it it might need more air. That's that's mm. a sign of lack of aeration. Yeah, you need to turn it. Sure. You need to hydrate it, or look into creating like a bioreactor where they actually put tubes <laughs> down in it to allow air down into the pile. If it smells like ammonia then it's probably too high in greens. That's an excess of nitrogen, right? And it's letting off that, that uh, you know, ammonia type of, type of aroma. Um, so it should smell like compost. It should smell like soil. Like earth. Um, the earthy yeah. smell. It's delicious it never, smell as well. You know, it's the most delicious thing you'd smell, but you don't want to eat it. <laughs> even when it's like doing its thing, when I go out and I jam my crowbar in and, and I aerate it, right? The smell that comes out of those holes, even when it's like, three days old and the stuff is obviously not rotted yet it's kind of a sweet smell um i get at least with with the stuff that i put in um and yeah you're right it shouldn't it shouldn't smell bad at all because it should either smell like like that or else exactly like soil it's it's it has all those microbes like what is it the actinomyces i think is the strain or species or whatever you call it of mm -hmm. that makes that soil that smell bacteria yeah yeah um so yeah Compost doesn't smell and it should. Um, that it is the most important part of your living soil, right? Like we pay outrageous prices for these bottled microbes. Mm -hmm. And in reality, those are just simply the species that they can stabilize in a bottle. When you take yeah. a handful of living soil, you're taking hundreds of thousands of bacteria. You're taking sometimes ancient millions populations yeah. of, yeah, millions. Yeah, exactly. Um, you're taking ancient populations of fungi sometimes into your hands and, and nematodes as well. People, people don't give enough shine to protozoa and nematodes in the cannabis growing world. Virtually every product that's bottled out there that they sell to you as microbes is, is like lab grown and purchased and formulated bacterias, which are great. And then fungi specifically, hopefully endomycorrhizal fungi, right? All those myco products. Mm -hmm. Only I can only think of a, a few products at all that have protozoa in them. Fish shit is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and then nematodes, when we talk about nematodes, usually it's an inoculation of predator nematodes to get rid of, uh, you know, fungus gnats or something like that. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of different nematodes, you know, fungal feeders, bacterial feeders, omnivores, as well as yeah. the predators. And they all play a very important role. Again, we create this very lopsided um, soil food web when we, when we hit them with all this bacteria and some myco 
in, in our, in our non-native soil. Yeah. Don't be afraid to take a scoop of your native soil and bring it into your garden. Mm. You want to be careful of pests, but at the end of the day, if you're trying to build a real living soil bed, people talk about in like IMO collection, indigenous microorganism collection, mm-hmm. just taking some of your compost from outside, which calls in all that bacteria, all those microorganisms, or just mm-hmm. taking a handful of your native soil can really do a lot. Someone brought us a sample of their soil bed and we found live nematodes in it. And we said, did you inoculate with nematodes? No. Well, where did they come from? Oh, I took a handful of living soil and I incorporated it in my, into my bed weeks ago, two months right. back. Mm-hmm. And they proliferated. Of course. In his, like, in his fucking apartment. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Fuck. So, I, was just I don't know what I was out. saying there. I'm high. So I'm sorry if I'm rambling. <laughs> no, it's, it's important, man. You know, when, when people make compost, this is the kind of thing that these are the kind of things they'll be getting these bacterias, the, the nematodes, all this shit from the local environment, from the local area is going to be incorporated into your soil. And that's going to make the plants resistant to different bugs different infections they might get you know different well, bacterias because they're used to it because it's being grown in the soil with them not just different bugs but the bugs probably that you're wherever you are growing are going to be there because with with the you know with your indigenous microorganisms from your compost they're probably best suited to fight the pests that exist mm-hmm. in your environment instead of exactly. some mediterranean fucking bugs it's just so something. good for so many different reasons and in so many different ways you have to be making your own compost if you yeah, yeah. and not necessarily if you're growing in hydroponics you know if you're growing in the cocoa and and uh, hydroponic mediums like that if you, but if you're growing in soil this is like you should definitely be making your own compost so you can even just top dress the pots sometimes that would be yeah. fucking nice they'd love that shit you can make People, compost um... tea Sorry, to People you. often ask me uh, what I do in terms of any sort of top dressing or amendments in my soil, mm-hmm. but um, I don't accept compost. That's the only thing I ever, I, I usually leave about an inch and a half um, to the top of the pot. So then about week five to week six, I can re-inoculate my soil mm-hmm. with those beneficial microorganisms. That's it, just put my it soil, on the top and water it in, isn't it? it's easy. That's all you do, yeah. All you do, or you can use compost tea, but I mean, just dumping a bunch of compost on there. I, I'm lazy, so that's that's what I do. Absolutely, and it helps with water retention. But there's things something I've been playing with now. Even you know, I, I am a synthetic grower. I grow in cocoa, but I'm I'm, I'm switching rapidly into syngenics now, and I'm actually using compost tea mm-hmm. periodically into the cocoa grow just to bring those microbes in, into the, into sure. the media, and it really does make a big difference in flavor profiles in the finished product. Man, yeah. monkey, I hear that over and over. And I, I've argued with guests about that before, where some some very highly educated guests will have at it on the show. And we're friends. It's not like we're really arguing. But uh, I know the guest, yeah. <laughs> I, hear, I hear it time and time again from growers like you who simply add Photo Plus into their routine and see a massive difference in flavor. And to me, it's very simple. It's the same thing that Steve Raisner says. It's It's the fact that terpene production is at least partially, if not largely, an immuno response. Just like we get a fever to fight off something, terpenes are used to, to ward off insects and all sorts of things like that. So it's an immuno response. And when you expose the microbiome of the creature to a wider diversity of stimuli, their immune system grows. Just like mm-hmm. us, if you get sick, you get stronger. If you, if you avoid that sort of thing, you get weaker and sicker in the long run. 
So again, are we stimulating the plant's immune system with a wider diversity of microbes in the phylosphere, on the phylosphere and in the rhizosphere, in the soil and on the plant? Mm. And is that changing the flavor? I 1000% believe yes. Mm -hmm. I can't cite a research study. I can't do any of that. I've just talked to a fuck ton of growers. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I'm not some sort of white knight organic guy. I'm actually growing in ProMix right now. That's what that tent was, liquid organics, but that's in ProMix. However you want to do it, make sure you at least consider adding microbes to your mm -hmm. setup. Even if you're in DWC, King Crab is a great bacteria product that's just bacteria that would an orca that would change your DWC grow. So to me, it's less about organic versus synthetic, even though I'm more, I'm an organic guy. Mm -hmm. It's more about microbially rich versus microbially scarce. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think there's working on that. Yes, for sure. Mm -hmm. I think there's a balance to be found. If you know what I mean, like as, as monkeys finding and <clears throat> I have, see, I use seaweeds, I use organics and mm -hmm. um, on, on top of my salt base. And I can guarantee you the flavor and the trichome production is better having some organics added in than if it's just straight salt based. And I'll outrightly say that I don't, I I've tried both ways and I prefer having a little bit of organic in there. Just even if it, as you said, just some microbes throw something like that in there, it changes the game. Just give mm -hmm. it a go. Like what do you, you know, if you've got enough backed up, give it a crack. It's not going to hurt anything. It's mm -hmm. not going to, you know, it won't kill your plant. You know what I mean? Like it's exactly. only going to help it. Give it a go. I I totally agree with that. And then I also think there's something to the organic matter part and maybe temple grower can speak to this, which is I do believe in terroir. Like I, that's something that I really have observed, yeah. which is you grow the same cut in two different locales mm -hmm. in the country. I mean, fuck that you grow the same cut. I saw the same cut grown three different ways in Illinois in indoor grows. And they all came out different. And these were all talented growers. One wasn't just lacking in nutrition and that's why it smelled different. No, that's not what happened. Your inputs determine to some degree how the flavor comes out. And so, and so I think that when it comes to compost, that's really the secret ingredient. That's what makes your soil yours. That's what makes your plant taste the way it does. When I get a bunch of stuff out of Rizo Rich's garden, one of the best growers I know, I can kind of taste one undertone i feel like i can kind of taste one undertone of his soil across a lot of the different flavors i feel like i can i can taste what the terroir lends a little bit and maybe someone knows what that is even if you've just switched nutrient lines maybe you've observed this have you switched from from advanced to canna and grown the same cut and been like this tastes different mm -hmm. i believe that certainly from my experience yeah i think agree I, I would say yes. I mean, going from, like, I've played with a couple and going from, even going from Canada to uh, Green Planet, different. A little bit different, different grown, right? Not, grown, a to not a totally fucking different plant, but maybe just a little bit different. And it's hard to mm. attribute what that's to, but I've just heard it too many times to not believe that it's the microbes and then also your, your inputs, your actual fertigation, how you fertilize seems to impact flavor to me one way or another. Mm. On that soil, on true. Oh, sorry, Bubba. No, I was just going to say on the soil point, it's very much, I think the way I look at it is the same with wines, you know, like, so yeah. you know how certain wines grown in different regions are going to have, you know, that comes down to the weather, the soil, the lighting, everything. It changes, changes the way the grapes grown, mm -hmm. changes the way they flavor. So 
it makes sense that if you if you're using organics and different different like different types of organics from different places, you're going to get variation. It's, it's, it's the whole appellations thing, isn't it? The Swami spoke about that in the interview we had with him. Yeah, they yeah. talked a lot about that in the Ganger program too, because they're trying to start like a terroir uh, classification system in California hmm. for the different uh, growing. I hope they do. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, yeah, if you travel, sorry, go ahead, TJ. I was just going to make a quick point about like food. You know, travel around the world and have the same food. Even, you know, the Coke in different countries tastes a little different. Different water, different inputs. The exact like, oh, Coke that is Coke. Yeah, Coca Cola. Yeah, that Coke. Oh, I heard it's good. One of the most standardized products on the planet that you can find anywhere, but it is subtly different, no matter you know, depending on where you are, and that's terroir. So let's go back to this compost thing, right? Because there's some things you shouldn't put in compost. Because right now, all you need really is a place to put the compost and stuff to make it, which is the greens and browns, stuff like sticks cardboard sawdust is a good one for the browns and then you've got the greens which are leaves uh vegetables uh, any vegetables kitchen you're not going to use yeah kitchen of... waste but you don't want to put Leaf. meat in there and you don't want to put dairy products yeah. in there right uh, dead bodies uh, well i i actually <laughs> that's a new story <laughs> i i've been i've been doing this tour and alexandria told me and the class that uc davis taught her the same thing that you don't really want to be adding bones and meat you mm. 100% can. If your compost is rich enough, you right. can add those things. Now, there's a few things you want to consider. The first is something that you may not consider unless warned, which is you might attract things like raccoons or some sort of wildlife that's going to dig into your compost and try to get that fucking meat and mm. dig it out. And that can be a big problem. But aside from that, you can 100% compost meat and bones as long as it's not too much of a constituent and as long as your compost pile is big enough and active enough. Um, so maybe not recommended for beginners, but mm-hmm. definitely possible. The other thing about uh, meat and bones is you can do a Bokashi compost for those, which is 100% what those those types of academics would teach. And a Bokashi yeah. compost is a fungally enriched compost. It can be a bin in your kitchen, and that fucking dissolves down meat and bones really quickly. But I, I want to hear TG's uh, opinion. Have you ever thrown a little bit of scrap meat in your compost, or do you not fuck around with that? Yeah, actually, I have. Um, we made some um, pasta one time. So noodles, obviously, derived from wheat, easily compostable. But it was loaded with pork, and it tasted fucking gross. So we threw it out. And I was like, oh, no, we can't throw out that many noodles. Look at all the noodles, right? And there's like little, no, like not a little bit, but like a good amount, maybe a half, half a pound, third of a pound, half a pound of pork. So it was like not a small amount. But I was like, yeah, my compost is... 55 degrees it's fucking ripping i'll dump it in there and i did and first day yeah fine but the second day when i turned it it smelled like an obviously like a rotting corpse it was the most like fucking disgusting thing um because the bacteria you know that eat meat yeah. are a lot yeah. different than the ones that uh eat the plants and Probably when they called it in a whole different set yeah, yeah. Um, it did eventually dissipate. You know, it took about four to five days and then it was totally fine and, you know, like nothing happened. But uh, yeah, it was an experience um, and I didn't, I haven't done meat since. Um, but yeah, it's uh, like you said, if, if you have a big enough place uh, and it's maybe far enough, depending on like, I don't know, maybe if you turn it like really crazy and, and it, it could see that's a that's an interesting point there is how often do you want to turn it because the essentially essentially 
you're turning it because you want to try and add more oxygen and air to the mix, right? So the bacteria stays yeah. well aerated and it don't go nasty. Yeah. Once a week is like excellent, but I also know people who space it out to where um, OK Calyx is a must follow on Instagram. If anybody's interested in this, follow at OK Calyx. Um, he does all this stuff. And he was saying, I started spacing out my turns to see where the diminishing returns hmm. would be. Pardon the pun. You know what I mean? Like how yeah, often yeah, do yeah. you need to turn it? So he, he tried one pile that he turned only once that season. And then he tried one that he turned twice that season and he's mm -hmm. turning it four times. So he's like really learning season by season. It's really cool. But um, to answer your question, like the more, the better once a week, if you're like willing to do that, mm -hmm. but it's a lot of work, man. Like that's backbreaking labor. Yeah. Turning a huge and if you have loads of worms, this is one of the benefits of the Burmy compost is the worms will dig their way through the soil. Oh, well, the compost and easy mode. It, yeah. It just brings all the air in with it as they're doing that. So that's a nice way to keep the compost aerated as well. And using like a set, a corrugated cardboard, that's another good one you can throw in there and that will help uh, keep things yeah. well aerated as well. But turning it is a good way once a week. You could always yeah. go the easy route, dig a big hole, chuck some meat in it, cover it and just wait for the critters to do your work for you. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that's a good point. Just <laughs> chuck some meat in it. They'll dig it in themselves. And that'll yeah. turn it. Nice. <laughs> Got a, got a bunch of anything on compost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bokashi compost is what's up though. Check that out for those steak scraps yeah. or whatever, those bones and stuff. Yeah, it's super easy too. And it, it basically, yeah, it preps the bones, the meat, the cheese, anything that you normally can't put into your compost. The fungus, special inoculated bran with this fungus on it, basically dissolves all that shit. And then you take your pail of disgusting shit, dump it into your compost, boom compost you know double compost baby and and here's a little rule of brown thumb which is pelletized brown manure. <laughs> pelletized manure releases much faster so you can't just take a cow pie and like top dress your pot with it because it's not available it has to be broken down more is my understanding whereas rabbit poop deer poop pelletized poop it's like mm -hmm. god's little natural fertilizer prill um that's uh my my understanding is a good rule of thumb is those are the ones that break down really fast and there's actually a couple good um manure additives i think one is called bunny magic uh and and again those are those are bunny manure based top dresses which is pretty cool cool man. rabbit shit is like one of the best things i don't you know rabbits eat their shit at night because when they poop it out the first time it still has nutrients in it that's so how good it is. It again, yeah. yeah. That's how good their shit is. Is they they can't even let go of. One. That's what Nesquik cereal actually is. <laughs> that's that's also oh, also <laughs> while you while you see dogs eating cat shit a lot is because cats <laughs> don't process protein like dogs do, and they they're just little protein biscuits for a dog. That's why it smells like shit when you dig your garden and you're like, what's this? Oh, cat shit. Sweet. Yes. yes. <laughs> Sweet. Sweet. Oh, Delicious. I want to make a quick point about Jordan's earlier point about inoculating your, you know, your pots with micros just by grabbing some garden soil. Um, there's a lot of people, one of the number one questions we get in classes is like, what about these compost starters? Um, and it's exactly what Jordan said. They're most likely okay but they're probably very specific lab grown stable uh, mm. microbes best thing you can do grab your garden soil because it's got everything local just chuck a couple handfuls of that in your in your compost and that's your compost starter you don't need any of that 
$20 bag bullshit. Yeah, that's right, man. Try and do as much of it as possible, but just straight out the kitchen, straight at home. Don't mess around. I want to be uh, even-handed because I totally agree. And like Temple, you know as well as I do, like making your own compost is one of the best things you can do from like a price standpoint, especially at scale. Like trying to pay for these microbes. Are you fucking kidding me? Grow grow them yourself or just get them from a local composter. That's the cheapest route. And that's what we promote. However, I do want to be even-handed. What I was talking about specifically were the bottled products, right? Like I'm looking at Photosynthesis Plus, for instance, or a better one might be Mammoth P, for an example. Mm-hmm. Mammoth P is a proprietary phosphorus-solubilizing microbe. Now, there's lots of phosphorus-solubilization that you're going to get from your compost, right? Like fungi takes care of most of phosphorus-solubilization. But some people want this extra little boost, which I understand. Now, what you're talking about are like the compost starting kits are like actual compost bags, and those are real hit or miss, right? I The one that I recommend is expensive. It's called BioVast. It's the best, it's the best compost that money can buy. It's sdmicroworks.com. It's expensive. There is a code GROWCAST to help you save. If you can't compost and you need to buy compost, this is the one. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's inoculated with like 15 different types of nematodes and, and all this stuff. And it's a fungally dominated vermicompost, but you should really be making your own compost if you can. Um, but a lot of people buy these products. Like it's, it sounds like I'm knocking them, but I actually use these products like fish shit, for instance. Right. Um, and that's a, that's a bottled aquatic microbe. And if you, if you're in cocoa, you got to keep buying it like monkeys doing, you got to keep applying that the whole point of, Living soil growing is to apply those microbes and then provide the condition for them to proliferate. You're inoculating your bed. You're not just putting watered down microbes as part of your, your, your regimen, which, which you should still do if you're on salts, right? Like I'm not, I'm not <clears throat> denigrating that, but I'm saying mm-hmm. if you want to save money, make, make it hospitable for those microbes so they stay for, for years to come. I hope that makes sense. And I hope it didn't seem like I was... Mm-hmm. I was uh, too biased. No, man. We all, I mean, you're on the same kind of perspective as we are. It's, if people want to grow and do their thing, then they find their own way to do it. It's, there's never a right or yeah. wrong way. As long as you're yeah. doing it, it's all good. Full disclosure but, for me, too. I don't know anything about these products, really. I just know that you know certain other things work. But I'm sure, like Jordan says, there's very good shit out there because there's there's people who do good work and actually put in the research and want to fucking right. do this. It's just so. expensive and you can do it yourself, mm-hmm. like you said, and you're going to get local. more of a biodiversity and it's local. It's all good. It's all those mm-hmm. things. And then, like you yeah. said, sometimes you go to buy a compost and it's like shit compost and you bring in bugs into your garden and you're mm-hmm. like, what the fuck? So, so I do have a recommended brand, although it's, it is very expensive, like I said. Mm-hmm. So just do it yourself if you can. Yeah, man. Local is very important. Here's a YouTube plug for you, but that's where ivermectin came from. It's some, Japanese guy scooped up some soil in the corner of his garden and it had, uh, maybe it was a public park, but you know, it was just this one type of bacteria that lives specifically in this little spot Dude. in Japan somewhere. Don't get me started. Don't get me started on ivermectin. No, uh, penicillin. <laughs> penicillin is the same way, right? Like mm-hmm, if you have mm-hmm. a blue fungus on your soil, there's a good chance that that's like a penicillium, which is what penicillin fucking comes from. Yeah, man. Crazy uh, shit. I have a question for you, Jordan. What's that? Um, I have a question for you. Maybe you get these questions when you do your your talks and your presentations. Okay. I'm going to try to channel Alexandria. Go ahead. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, it's about a product. It's it's these tabletop plug-in compost things. Lomi, I think, is one brand, but essentially you can put your your kitchen or whatever waste in it, yeah, and it sound does right. its thing. Does it. Yeah, and then yeah. a day later you have this stuff, but it's not really compost, in in my opinion. But, it sounds uh, like a um, it sounds like a bokashi bin. Is it or no? No, it's 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 essentially I think it's like a food shredder slash dehydrator, but it's what I was thinking. Exactly is what it sounds like. How do you how do you spell Lomi, the the product? L O M I, I think it is. I keep seeing their ads on Instagram too. Yeah, I got into a fight on their Instagram with some people. Yeah, because I was like, you can't make compost in a day. What the fuck? You know, it has to be drying the vegetable material and composting in place, you know, kind of thing like that. That's like Jordan seen it and he's got an instant taste of disgust in his mouth. Yeah. Well, no, you know what? It, it looks cool, but you know what made me exclaim is it's five hundred dollars. Okay. Whoa. So that's something. Um, I don't know. I don't like. Them. It looks cool as fuck. You can use animal products in it. I'm gonna look yeah. into this. Yeah, I mean, maybe for somebody who doesn't have like you live in like some barren environment where. You know, everything has concrete and you're up in a skyscraper. That would be good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%, man. No, I'm going to look into this. Um, It looks pricey, but it looks cool as fuck. So with this compost shit then, because we've we've added the greens, we've added the browns, and we've let them sit for about four, three to four months is about right, would you say? You know, uh, stat- turning it static once a is going to take sometimes even longer. But if when you turn it once a week, yeah. if you're turning it, you can you can have comp. You'll start to see a breakdown in black gold in like fucking four to six weeks. Nice. Like yeah. If you're out there all the time, right, TG? That's going to be much faster. Oh, yeah. Whereas I, had, I like, like sixty six degrees static. in my bin, and that shit was just gone. That's yeah, what's up. Rips. It could take like up to six months static, mm-hmm. depending yeah. on how cold it is yeah. outside and shit. Is that since you last added something to it? Because if you're constantly adding things nope. to it. Nope, it's just kind of the overall cohesiveness of it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, try try to fill the buckets and then apply them, uh, like if you can, right? Yeah, like you'll yeah. you'll have a compost bin that fills, so you're never just like starting your compost pile with one banana peel. <laughs> like you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? The way um, the way I do it when I start mine is I'll, I usually have enough material to fill the thing at least kind of half full. It's not quite enough to get the microbes really cooking, but then over the next few days, you know, you build up that little bit more. And uh, that bottom half, as I fill up the top half, will finish, and then I'll take the bottom half out, and eventually you get to this this level where you know you can tell that most of this is not finished compost anymore because I I do a sifting, mm-hmm. I sift all my compost so I can see what's still in it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And eventually you get to this point where it's like okay, that's now the bottom, so that comes down, and then you just start filling it up again, and then you kind of just do a rotating, or at least that's the way I do it in my plastic bins for uh over the summertime so when it's done is there a way to test it to try and see what's in the compost like with nitrogen potassium phosphorus these different nutrients oh, yeah. is there a way to you, test it you can get a nutrient breakdown but what what you'd be more interested in is the microbiology you can get that you can get those elements from all sorts of different places right like if you're making a mm. super soil you're going to be adding other stuff for a lot of that nutrition yeah but exactly what mm. you what would be what would be more interesting and much harder to find out. Like you could do a, to answer your question. Yes. You could do a soil analysis and they could test how much nutrition and, and what elements are in your soil, but really it's about the microorganisms and that's very hard to test. Like it takes a DNA sample to distinguish a certain species of bacteria from another species. Now there's families and behaviors 
right? Like we know the different big families, bacteria, fungi, protozoa, nematodes. You can identify nematodes visually. You can take a look at their mouth parts, which will kind of tell you what they feed on. But again, to differentiate one predator nematode from another predator nematode, you'd have to either be some sort of like basically a lane ingum, or my understanding is like a DNA test is required. Um, certain protozoa move differently. Some like whip to move and like flagellate and all this stuff, all this fun stuff. And uh, that can give you an idea as to what, what their functions are and what kind of classification they are. But bacteria, man, I've seen them on the microscope. Like they all fucking look the same to me. <laughs> They're just little tiny specks moving around doing their thing. And um, I think it takes a DNA sample to find out exactly what's in there, but fuck it. You've got, you've got everything you need in the yeah. compost sample. You've only got a couple of species in that, in that bottle. Um, and this is a, this is where you could come on to using those bacteria as running well a compost tea. Cause this is something I wanted to cover before we ended the topic is you'd take this compost after like a month, you know, four to six weeks, depending on how often you're flipping it. And you can make a compost tea with it, which you can spray onto your plants or water into your medium to get all this bacteria over the plants and into the medium, you know? So how, what would you say was the best way to make compost tea? TG, you obviously use this shit. Uh, how would you make yours? Yeah, well, you uh, basically, it is exactly what it sounds like making tea. You can do it loose or in a bag, but essentially what you're wanting is a pail with water in it. Um, dechlorinated water generally is good. Rainwater is probably the best, unless your rainwater is like acid rain. Don't use that. But um, yeah, basically you're just taking the compost and using the bubbles in, your, you have an, uh, a pump, sorry, that goes into this. You can use many different contraptions, but you know, think of a PVC pipe with a bunch of small holes popped in it that this pump is plugged into. So it forces air through these holes and bubbles up in through the water. And those bubbles actually knock off the microbes off the, the physical pieces of compost. So after you do that for, depending on if you're making aerated compost tea or actively aerated compost tea, you can be feeding your, uh, your tea with things like fish uh, shit, uh, well, fish emulsion or fish hydrolysate is what I use. Liquid kelp, uh, I think those are more for fungally dominated. If I'm Jordan, can probably speak more to that. Or you can use like molasses and stuff. Just basically stuff for the bacteria and the fung for the microbes to eat, proliferate. Mm -hmm. Eventually, you uh, strain it out. So you have this rich liquid. It's usually quite dark, almost black, that's loaded with all the microbes that you've knocked off the compost. And then you take that and you can use it as a soil drench, foliar feed to, to um, give the plants kind of like a barrier to any potential pathogenic microbes or, or diseases that might come in and try and take hold. There's already a big population of beneficial microbes there to fend them off, um, as well as just re-inoculating your soil with all these benefit beneficial. And it's a, it's a lot quicker, I think, than, than using regular compost. I mean, in, in pots, when you're watering in, that's that's pretty pretty straightforward. But if you're using this stuff outside, just regular compost, if you're spreading it on your lawn, kind of, for example, it can take a little bit longer maybe to get set. Whereas compost tea is just you're shitting the stuff everywhere. And it's mm -hmm. I mean and it's yeah. free. Free. Yeah. <laughs> but um <laughs> the microbulator, I think Tim Wilson, he's uh microborganics.com is my favorite place to be for uh looking at uh, this kind of stuff it's a very 
1990s website so like get your glasses on to read that shit but um there's all kinds of good information there um as well as percy's girl room obviously as well but um yeah i mean it's it's a pretty simple concept you know you just need some sort of like some people use air stones i find air stones don't really push out enough bubbles to do the job properly mm -hmm. so you uh just google you know compost tea maker and i guarantee you'll find a bunch of cool stuff what uh, about you jordan is that about the same process as you use? A hundred percent. That is that is how to make a compost tea. You can build one. You can build a compost tea maker yourself out of like a pump and some PVC if you're handy. Yeah. Otherwise, um, the microbiolator is like the best one on the market. Kiss Organics makes one that's good. Buxton Hollow Farms makes a simple one that's good. Um, but what Alexandria really blew my mind open with um, during this this tour, um, I actually have to run. So this will be my last little tidbit here another sneak peek from the class and this completely changed the way that i do compost liquid applications she enlightened me to the difference between a compost tea and a compost extract um and this is really really cool so i'm going to try to explain this as best i can having just hit this peach dosi so i'm all fucked up and here we go <laughs> um compost has that wide diversity of microbial species right uh, it's got, it could have potentially hundreds or maybe a thousand different types of microbes in there, right? Maybe more. I don't fucking know. So you, you put it in the bucket with water. And then as TG said, you aerate it and aerating it and feeding it causes them to proliferate, as he said. Now, what's interesting is the number of total microbes go up as they're breeding and fighting and eat each other, eating each other and fucking and, and, and warring in there. The number yeah. of total microbes goes up, but the numbers of species goes down because it is a war going on. So from thousands of species, maybe only five or three wow. or 10 Savage. end up proliferating. <laughs> and, and they are the strongest ones, and I'm sure they will do wondrous things for your garden. And they are great for maybe uh, some sort of IPM application. If you have like a fungal issue in your soil, maybe you have a water mold or something, you could apply a compost tea. And it'll be beneficial no matter what. But if you're looking for, again, that, that maximum microbial diversity, you do a, a compost extract, which is you take the same bag of compost in the same bag and you put it in the water without aeration. Now you have to agitate it, dunk it up and down to knock those microbes around. Like you're saying, there's no more air, but you're knocking those microbes around five minutes. You can let it steep maybe up to 20 minutes. And it's funny, the tea is more, the extract is more like a tea because you're steeping the bag. And what you'll get there is those microbes didn't have a chance to compete with each other and knock each other out. So it's a oh, yeah. lower total volume, but a wider diversity. And you might want to use an extract when things are going well and you know your soil is in balance. And you might want to use a compost tea when you're trying to correct something in your soil. Now, they're all going to be beneficial, to be clear, but the compost extract might be, uh, might be optimal in certain situations. Here's another reason why the extract might be optimal. The more that microbes proliferate and fight and fuck like i said they create something called microbial slime very scientific i know right right um, like microbial jizz right it's exactly <laughs> what it is it's just a bunch of fucking jizz <laughs> and how do you think that affects the tea's ability to penetrate the soil it collects it this is something joshua mm. steensland actually talked about on my show it tends to collect it more in the top layer it doesn't penetrate as deeply and I mean, I'm in small pots indoor, so maybe that doesn't matter as much to me, but some of these regenerative guys, right. Who are in ground and they're doing the whole fucking thing. 
they might use an extract because it doesn't have as much of that microbial slime and it can penetrate the rhizosphere more effectively. Crazy shit, really mm. like nitpicky dialing it in shit. But when I learned that, I, I started doing compost extracts simply by nature of I had to wait overnight. I was always told to bubble mine for hours. Um, and it's very satisfying with that foam. But I've been doing the five-minute compost extract and uh, something to consider. Nice one. Yeah, that's pretty – I never even considered. You kind of just – before it gets an anaerobic that kills all that shit, you've just, you know, done it enough to get – the it's it's the the uh, what's the word i want you know the variation of microbes is what you're after not so much the population which so, makes yeah. sense right if you're putting it into a living soil system we should get those to be able to proliferate in the soil so yeah. you want the diversity which w- makes me think on the spot maybe if you are doing a synganic maybe you do want the most hardy microbes maybe you do want the tea right but if 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 you're putting it into your living soil bed you might want that diversity and to go with the mm-hmm. extract mm-hmm. Interesting. We need some scientists to do some tests and shit here. Science. I know, right? It's it, I. I have learned so much from from doing these classes myself, and yeah, I'm still a new cool, when it comes to this stuff. Uh, I'm always in awe um, when Alex is speaking, and that was one of the things that she she spoke on was compost extracts. So shout out. I guess there's a lot of information online for it. Um, again, I just kind of started doing this. Mm. And, you said you uh, have to be off. Do you want a quick shout out to tell everybody where to find you if they don't know where? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Thank you for having me, guys. And thank no, you for thanks listening. for coming to join us, man. It's been fucking awesome, mate. Thanks for all your input and the information. It's been awesome. I, yeah, I've yeah. been like in this world now for some time, obviously. So it's good to come <laughs> on and, and talk about some of this stuff and put it into practice. Um, listen to the show. It's free. Growcast podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, all the stuff. Look for the purple leaf. That's us at Growcast on Instagram. And then come see us for this living soil class. If you like today's lecture, we have a five-hour living soil class. We scope your soil at the end. We'll, we, yeah. we project the microscope up on screen so everybody can see what your soil looks like. We'll teach you how to, how to identify fungi, bacteria, protozoa, and nematodes. You'll know how to do all that shit by the end of this class. Plus, we'll give you personalized recommendations on your soil samples. So it's really, really cool. Find all of the information at growcastpodcast.com slash classes. And we're in San Diego this weekend. We're in Buffalo and Toronto uh, later in October. Come to the San Diego class. We're giving away BioVast to every attendee. I talked about BioVast. Every San Diego attendee gets BioVast and Foop Mist. It's fun. Go and check it out, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a bit far, mate. So, you know, I can't make it. (laughs) Maybe next time, you you know. (laughs) I'll give you an excuse for California. Go for it, man. Yeah, yeah. I'll give it a good crack, but I don't know if I'll make it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I really appreciate you guys. Again, just listen to the show. Come and check us out. I don't need to uh, to pitch anything else here. Tune into Growcast. Thank yeah, you, man. all you listeners. And thank you, High on Homegrown. You guys are the best. Oh, you're like my favorite pleasure, cannabis podcast. No, you're our favorite, so. bro. You're our favorite. <laughs> I'm saying. It's like, bro. Bros brands going on here. Bro. <laughs> bros, man. <laughs> bros, you know what I'm saying? It's a pleasure as usual, Jordan. Hashtag bros. All right. I'll right, talk to you guys later. <laughs> yeah, man. Have a good night, mate. Appreciate bye it. Bye. Bye. Bubble, Mar- uh, Marge, uh, Monkey, Mackie. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs> All right, man. Wave Legend. as we do as it goes. Legend. And Chad's just landed in the chat. What's up, Chad? There you go. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, go and I check out his classes. Sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Interesting. So, is there anything else we we're going to say there about compost? Compost? I don't know which version of the word I'm on. Well, can you compost <laughs> compote? Mm, oh, good point. <laughs> oh, it's fruit and sugar, so yeah.
Yeah, yeah, hey, mate. It, hey, look, you may be onto something here, monkey. I'll <laughs> be a thing, mate. You know, so, um, sorry, don't we, mind me. I've just cracked out the sativa. So I mean, that's I just about everything. Uh, that's just about everything we've got to talk about with compost. Obviously, it's a bigger subject than this. And you can find more out from Jordan over at Growcast. Go and check out his, his shit over there. And you can find more on Percy's. And if you have any questions, you can always head to Percy's, start a thread, and we'll be more than happy to help you out with answers and shit like that. But we do have just a couple of questions which we want to get to quickly because we're already running over time. But uh, some questions. We'll get one from <laughs> Phil here. Uh, what would the best worms to use for your compost and would your selection of worms be determined on the climate you live in? Not necessarily, mate. It's better to get a selection of worms because they all do different things like the European night crawlers and uh, tiger worms, earthworms. They all do different things. Uh, the tiger worms and the night crawlers it's like the t- i think the tiger worms will live in the middle of the soil while the night crawlers will crawl higher up so they'll be eating different types of food depending on the depth that it is in the worm farm and then you have uh, uh, earthworms which will eat not as much as the other two but they'll still dig through the soil and aerate it bring some air in with them so a, a good mix of worms don't, don't just try and have one particular type get a good mix and they'll all live together happily I think all that's in mine are the red wigglers, but yeah, uh, yeah there's three as, as far as I know, red wigglers, the European night crawlers and the African night crawlers all yeah, yeah. are like, you can use those in a bin outside. Yeah. There's probably more species that are yeah. pluckable, but um, when I got mine, they had a whole collection of different ones in there. Pretty cool. And you, you, yeah. and you can buy these online, everybody. You can look for a local worm farm to you and you'll be able to buy a bag of worms and you can just start off yeah. from there. And every three months or so, they'll double your population as long as they're in a, a good a good environment. If you're, if you're local to Saskatoon, I will give you some worms. Yes, I was wondering, uh, TG, what do you do in the wintertime? For With worms? Them? Yeah. They're my fine. worms are in my basement. Yeah, I don't take them outside. Yeah. Okay. And in, in, uh, even in winter, they all clump up together and stay warm. Well, they're in my basement, like I said, so mm-hmm. they don't go outside. They're, uh, you know, they're just in a tub <laughs> for composting in the winter though that's a really good question for people who live where it freezes um i just keep going i make sure that there's enough room generally to keep piling stuff but as soon as you throw it outside when it's minus 20 or 30 it freezes it actually is really good because it blows up all the, the cell walls and then come springtime when everything melts the stuff just turns into this slime that's perfect right. food for bacteria to really get going and doing their thing so it's like accelerant almost by but yeah you just have to make sure you have enough room if i don't i just put it in pails outside so it freezes in the pails and then when i make my new piles in the spring i just dump the pails out into the pile sweet now we had a question here about bugs as well from sparky people who use living soils get gnats into their grows from outside compost how do people keep pests in check uh, pretty much if the compost is good enough, it cooks all the eggs, right, TG? In the compost, yeah, well, yeah. But yeah, you you probably will have gnats most likely in some population. But yeah, I mean, if you do your compost properly, it can get really hot and it will kill a lot of the pathogenic species of stuff, seeds, mm-hmm. wheat seeds and bug eggs and things. But you know, I always have fungus gnats in my garden. I've had them for years and years. I've never not been there, but I just use the uh, nematodes, Steinonema nematoda, 
So pot poppers is one brand, but yeah, they're just predatory nematodes that eat the larvae of the um, fungus gnats. Sweet. And they work really well. So add some diversity to your grow by using compost. You know, and as we said, it's free. It's free as fuck. It's like, it's, it's less than free, man. You, you're making use of waste. But you know, already it's paid actually, it. you're making money in the long mm, run because yeah, yeah. by diverting waste from the landfill, it means you don't have to build a new landfill sooner. And landfills, I don't know if you guys know, but are like a billion dollars. You know, they're fucking expensive things. And nobody wants a big garbage dump by their house. Mm -hmm. So it's a big deal when a new landfill usually has to go in. Not to mention the acidification of the soil from mm -hmm. the anaerobic decay of these plants and, and plant matter when you throw it in the garbage and there's no air. Eventually it turns into some really vile shit that can really contaminate the soil as well as produce methane as a byproduct, which is contributes to climate change and so the money nothing. you're going to save on nutrients and bacteria you buy that from too. the grow shop you know, sure. yeah. save money yeah. there too it's all win-win so yeah, win when you make your own compost man so do it do it definitely you just get uh i mean you can buy a composting bin online if you want to go to the garden center or you can just build your own it, it is really simple shit you just yeah add the stuff simple, that nature it, did work we didn't even touch on some of the more alternative. This is like what we talk about is usable compost, making compost so we can use it in our pots or garden or whatever. But you can do something as simple as if, if you have a big enough area, dig a trench. It's called trench composting. Mm -hmm. It's fucking exactly like it says. You dig a hole about eight to 12 inches deep and literally just dump your shit in there and then cover it up. And that's it. You know, that's composting oh, too. Yeah. If you can plant right on top of it, um, you can... Well, you maybe should wait a couple, uh, like a month or two to plant right on top of it, but planting beside it, you know, you get all the benefits of those uh, decaying, all, like, like Jordan said, all of the, the minerals you need plant growth are in that tissue and it's mm -hmm. right there. So trench composting is, is lazy, easy, and you get, you know, if you garden, that's probably one of the best things you can, you can do. For sure. That's what I used to do in tomato rows back in the day. I would take my Halloween pumpkins after they were finished and I would chop them up, bury them in a row down there, cover them up, let winter come around and in the spring, till all that stuff up, plant my tomatoes and they would always produce beautiful fruit because of course the fruit from the, from the pumpkin is all kind of great potassium and wonderful stuff in it that everything's going to need. So exactly. it works fantastic. It's super easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's about everything for compost so far. Again, if you have any questions, make sure you come and visit us over at persuasegrowroom.com and we'll be able to answer the questions over there for you. But I think it's time to move to the outro, everybody. And there we go, everybody. That was the episode all about composting. Again, Jordan River was with us throughout the episode. You can head over to growcastpodcast.com and find out more information about his show or you can find him on iTunes and Spotify and all the different social networks. Just search for Growcast and you'll find him there. And of course, like every other Grow Guides episode, if you need any help or have any questions, you can find us over at percysgrowroom.com in the forum. Sign up, it's absolutely free, 100% free. You don't have to pay anything. Just sign up, start a thread, ask your questions, and there'll be plenty of people there who are more than happy to help you out. So don't be shy, come over to Percy's and ask for help if you need it. But that's it for this week. We'll catch you on Sunday for the live show over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash homegrown. And we're going to be talking about how to reduce your electricity bills this week. 
because obviously we're all going to be needing that very soon. So we'll see you on Sunday for the live show. But of course, if you can't make it, there's the Cannabis News and Events on Monday, the interview on Wednesday and Grow Guides on Friday. So thank you very much as always for downloading the show and listening. I hope you can share it with somebody. If that's possible, that would be super cool. But no pressure, of course. Have a good week, everybody. Stay high, stay safe, and we'll catch you on the next one. Goodbye. <laughs>